Which I'm like, that's a really odd thing to like zero in on, but okay. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> You're talking about the disappearance of an innocent child, but I'm going to talk about this fucking Malta with passion. Right. Like, I am <laughs> yeah. going to understand that engine <laughs> if it is the last thing I do. Like, yeah. It's, it's weird, but. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to The Devil's Margarita. I'm Amanda. And I'm Allie. And have I got a story for you? I'm excited. Hang on, wait. What have you got to drink? Me? I have recorded like cider. Ooh, I have a cider tonight as well. And I'm kind of thinking that it is nowhere near strong enough for what we're about to listen to. Oh. So just, you know, prepare yourself. (laughs) I've kind of been living and breathing this case for the better part of a week. And I'm kind of happy to be able to get it out of my head. It's that bad. Really? Yeah. If I laugh at any point during this, it's just because I'm uncomfortable. So just keep that in mind (laughs) because it's truly horrific. The the case I'm going to talk about is the disappearance of Daniel Morecambe. Does that ring any bells? The name seems so familiar to me, but I just can't figure out why it sounds familiar to me. I think if you lived in Australia when this happened, you've probably heard the name. You probably even know the face. Because it was so well publicized in the media that I would be genuinely surprised if you hadn't heard of it. Yeah, it just, it it rings a bell, but I just can't piece it. I'm sure that once I start talking about it, you're going to be like, oh, that, right, I remember. (laughs) But there's also like so many details that I was not aware of until I started researching this. There is a case file episode about it, um, which is really good and really well detailed. But, like, I listened to that ages ago. So I think it's, like, episode 50-something for Case File. Oh, wow. So it was, like, forever ago. But, yeah, it ha- he went he went missing when I was in high school. I remember seeing his face everywhere, and it didn't even happen in the same state oh. that I was living in. So I guess if you're a listener who's not in Australia, this might be completely new to you, because I don't know if it got any, like, international recognition. So, yeah, buckle up. It's going to be a hard one. Should I spike my cider? <laughs> in order it's to deal with this. It's not a terrible idea, I'm <laughs> telling you. <laughs> not a bad idea at all. So before we really get into the case, I'm just going to give a massive trigger warning. Unfortunately, I'm going to talk about the disappearance and a murder of a child. And there will be points that I'm going to talk about uh, child sex abuse and rape. So if any of that is really uncomfortable or triggering for you, you might want to skip this one and come back for the next one. Mm because it really is going to get uncomfortable. <laughs> but I, I mean, as I was researching this, I'm like, should I even really be doing it? Because it is so horrible. But I still think that Daniel's story is well worth telling. Right. And the shitbag that did it to him definitely deserves being called out for it. So mm, I agree. That's why I decided to just do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, just to go back to the whole point of, like, if anything's, like, if we laugh about anything, it's not because we find this lighthearted or it's not because no. we find this funny. It's just because if we don't laugh about it now while we're drinking and try to take a little bit of strain off, it's so heavy that it becomes a little bit difficult to deal with. Yeah, definitely. Like, if I crack a joke at any point, it is not because I find it funny because I absolutely do not find this funny at all. It's more to make myself feel more comfortable. Yeah. Because it's so uncomfortable to sit in. And I kind of think that that's a pretty human thing to do because there are a lot of podcasts that do that kind of thing just to, you know, take the tension off. Because it is hard to sit here and and think about and look into these cases that are so horrible. 
Yeah, it's just it's just one of those human things that we do where mm. we just like laugh because we don't know what to say or because it's too uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Okay, are you ready? I'm to get ready. This, this going. Let's go. <sighs> okay, just getting myself ready. <laughs> Suck yourself up. <laughs> Daniel Morecambe was a 14 year old boy who had just finished year nine and was living on the Sunshine Coast, which is in Queensland, Australia. He lived with his family, and th- that included both of his parents, uh, Bruce and Denise. And his two brothers. Okay. On the 7th of December, 2003, Daniel, his twin brother, Brad, and his older brother, Dean, were meant to be spending the morning fruit picking at a neighbor's place, which they did regularly, and then going to a work family picnic with their parents for lunch. Sounds like a really nice day. So wholesome. Right? Fruit picking? Ugh. Fruit picking and picnics? So wholesome. Right? I just have, like, this mental image of, like, cottagecore from TikTok in my head. Like, (laughs) just some nice, chill, lo-fi music playing in the background as you frolic through the apple, (laughs) the orchard. I think they were picking passion fruit. (gasps) I'm pretty sure I remember reading that. Even better. Yeah. (laughs) Just, yeah, they just sort of sound like, you know, a family who, like, does stuff together and has, like, got it together and, (sighs) yeah. So that was what their plans were. Um, However, the rain ended up disrupting their plans because the neighbours asked them to come later in the morning because of the bad weather. Okay. So because of that, the boys ended up missing their parents' family work picnic as well. And Bruce and Denise ended up going in their own and they left early to go find a good spot to set up. I just think that's really cool though that like their parents were, oh, don't worry, you go fruit picking, we'll go picnicking. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Right? It just sounds like the fairy tale kind of family outing. Like, exactly. Perfectly Disney. Just so wholesome. That, that that's like the whole thing about the start of the day. I'm like, this is just too wholesome. I can barely handle it. Right. Especially for like, did you say he was 14? Yeah, 14. At 14, I hated everything. Same. I was really <laughs> hardcore going through an emo phase at that point. So oh, like, same. <laughs> I hated everyone and everything. Yeah, I was definitely not like going on picnics with family. <laughs> No, I was like, I couldn't think of anything worse back then. But I mean, exactly. But that that doesn't seem to be an issue for Daniel and his brothers. So that is so sweet. Yeah. So the boys came home at approximately 10 a.m. and their parents had already left for the picnic. So Daniel decided with his newfound spare time that he would go to Sunshine Plaza to get a haircut and buy Christmas presents for his family. Oh my God. The wholesome continues. That's too much. Yeah, too, too much. Too nice. (laughs) So Daniel did ask his brother Dean if he wanted to come with him, but Dean declined. And it is so heartbreaking. I watched a 60 Minutes interview with the family and stuff, and Dean said that he said no, got in the shower, and then never seen him again. Oh, "Oh my God, that is so heartbreaking. (sighs) Anyway. Yeah, see, it it gets sad really quickly. Um. (laughs) I couldn't imagine just being like, no, I don't really feel like it, like, as you do. Yeah. And Which, then, like, totally normal. Right. And just never seeing your sibling again. Yeah. And the worst thing, I think, for him is that he probably beats himself up about that every single day. Because how, how wouldn't you? I wouldn't be able to help it, mm. even though it's absolutely not your fault. Exactly, yeah. But you'd be just like, what if? What if I'd said yes? Yeah. Oh, man. It's a, it's a hard one. 
So just after 1 p.m., Daniel left home with his wallet and he also had like a pocket watch, like an old school pocket watch. Oh my God, that's That adorable. he carried with him. Yeah, so adorable. And they had a picture of it and it's just, it's exactly what you picture like a pocket watch looking like. Oh. And he, he apparently loved it. It was engraved with his name. Like he, he loved that thing. That's um, next so he carried it with adorable. him everywhere. Absolutely adorable. Yeah, it really is. So he picked that up and he walked just over a kilometer to the place where he normally got the bus from. So the bus stop, which was located under Keel Mountain Road underpass, wasn't actually an official bus stop, but people just went there anyway and the buses knew to pick them up. Okay. I have a feeling that where they were from was like semi-rural. <laughs> well, that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. We, we go there. It's not a real bus stop, but they'll stop for us anyway. <laughs> right. It makes sense. Like- because I grew up in a small town, it kind of mm. makes sense that it's just like, okay, well, the buses know anyway. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> the bus that Daniel intended to catch was meant to arrive at 1.35 p.m., but it didn't. He didn't know this, but the bus had broken down and a replacement service was on its way. But Daniel continued to wait anyway. And during that time, a man also joined him in the wait for the bus. Okay. A lot of witnesses said they seen the man leaning against the bottom of the underpass, like leaning with his back and had his like one leg up. That was like the one thing that everyone repeated after that. Like a cool James Dean moment. <laughs> yeah, like pretty much exactly that. Yeah. The replacement bus finally arrived. And even though Daniel put his hand out to indicate to the driver that he wanted to get on the bus, the bus drove right past him. Rude. Apparently the bus had turned into an express service to make up the time lost for the other bus breaking down. But the driver tried to indicate that another bus was coming shortly after. And he even radioed that bus to let them know that a boy was waiting to get on. Okay. The next bus that got there would have got there like in between two and three minutes. However, by the time it got there, Daniel wasn't. Wait, how long in between buses? Two to three minutes. And he wasn't there? And he wasn't there. By the time the next bus got there, he was gone. And so was the man that was waiting for the bus. <gasps> no. So they were both gone. There was no one there by the time the next bus got there. That is so fast. Yeah, that is such a short amount of time for a boy to go missing. Right, like- Two to three minutes. That's insane. <sighs> it's just like, you, would, you wouldn't think like something could happen in that space of time. Right, like I can- I'm trying to think what I can do in two to three minutes. Not a lot. Like substantially, like- <laughs> Yeah, not, not a lot. I mean, you can't even microwave your lunch for that amount of time. Right? Yeah, just such a short period of time. Hmm. So Daniel's parents came home mid-afternoon, but they weren't concerned at all that Daniel wasn't back yet. They knew that the latest he would be home would be about 5.30, as that's when the last bus from the plaza arrived back at the underpass. Oh. So Bruce, Daniel's dad, went to look for him at the bus stop at about 5.30. But no bus arrived and Daniel wasn't there. He also didn't pass Daniel on his way home either. The bus didn't come early and he was walking back. Mm. He just didn't pass him at all. They were immediately pretty worried because it was highly unusual for Daniel. Um, he'd made the trip many times before without any issue and he was generally a good kid. Like he didn't, you know, stay out late or go anywhere without permission or any of that kind of stuff. Oh, no. And – one thing that kind of broke my heart is that his parents were like, maybe he's gotten bitten by a snake or something. Oh, stop it. Yeah. So they were really worried that he might be injured or that maybe he'd lost money, lost his money or something like that and he was stuck. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense. I mean, you don't automatically think, okay, well, my child's no. been abducted. 
Yeah, like, that would probably be the last thing. I mean, you'd probably consider it, but you'd be like, oh, surely not. Right. I And I suppose if they're living in, like, a rural area too, they're probably, like, well, that's probably more probable um, that mm. he was injured or bitten by a snake or something like that, um, as opposed to having been abducted. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah. It's just, I, I think, like, you would consider the likelihood of things happening and you'd be like, yeah, definitely more likely that he got stuck somewhere mm. than someone took him. Yeah. Uh, so they, they end up making a trip to the plaza to see if he got stuck there without any money or something. Yep. But they didn't see him on the way there and they didn't find him when they got there either. Oh, I can only imagine how, <sighs> like, can't. by this point, the panic would just start setting in. Yeah, when you look for them in the most, you know, obvious places and they're not there. Right, like yeah. going to the plaza, realizing he's not there, okay, well, shit, now what? And oh, I just imagine, like, the heart just starting to pound out of your chest, like, with worry and anxiety at this point. I mean, I, you know, I don't have any kids, but I imagine, like, my cat getting out and the panic that I would feel. Yeah, well, I cannot imagine a, a whole child <laughs> exactly. going missing and you can't find them, how panicked you would be. Right. If my dog hides under the bed for whatever reason and I can't <laughs> find her, I start panicking. Yeah, exactly. Imagine that for a whole human. Right. Like a human that you, oh, no. <sighs> yeah. I can't imagine. I just, I can't. They did everything that they could think of. They went to the bus depot to see if they could get any information, see if someone had seen him. Any of that, they called the bus company. They even flagged down another bus just to see if they could get in contact with anyone to get any information at all. Right. But all of it failed. No one knew anything. So by the time 7pm came and there was still no word or sign of Daniel, they were obviously beyond panicked about it mm. and went to Maruchidor Police Station to report Daniel missing. Oh, man. <sighs> yeah. So, initially, Sergeant Robbie Munn, which, uh, side note, that's an excellent name for a police officer. Oh, 100%. Robbie, Robbie Munn. I can I can imagine it. He took the missing persons report, but he wasn't too worried at first. He was sure that, you know, that Daniel was going to come back by the end of the night and it would all just be a bigger misunderstanding and he was with friends or something. So, he didn't report him missing straight away, which oh. I kind of feel like is probably standard. I don't know. I feel like whenever children go missing, like, it should just be that- you go balls to the wall anyway. I mean, I would agree for, like, a five-year-old child. If you can't find yeah. that age straight away, panic for sure. Yeah. And I would be expecting the police to be doing everything they could straight away. But 14? True. You know, there are you, a lot of delinquents. You might just, you know, be out with friends and forgot the time or decided to be rebellious for some reason. So yeah. I can kind of understand. But there is a part of me that's like, why were you not looking for him straight away? Right. I guess it's easier – because I don't know what the process is for officers and the police force when, you know, an Amber Alert is triggered or anything like that. Like, I don't know what the process is. So, I'm sure it's very easy for me to be like, oh, well, why don't you do more? Yeah. Um, but. Plus, like, hindsight is twenty twenty. Oh, exactly. You know. I, I can understand why Robbie here had, had that attitude. Like, it makes sense. I feel like we can't call him Robbie. Like, we have to call him by his full, <laughs> like his full name. Uh, Officer Munn? <laughs> no, Robbie Munn. Like, Officer yeah, Robbie, Robbie Munn. Munn. Like, it has to yeah. be just Officer Robbie Munn. <laughs> Actually, he's a sergeant. So, do we have to call him sergeant or can we call him officer? I'm not sure oh, my God. Let's just go with Robbie Munn. <laughs> Robbie Munn. Anyway. <laughs> so, he did promise Bruce and Denise that he would call them at the end of his shift if he hadn't heard anything. That's um, nice. Which he did. He, he called them at 10 p.m. And when they said that they still hadn't had any sign of him, he officially reported Daniel missing. Okay. 
All right. So he, he, he cared. It wasn't like he was just, oh, it was a teenage thing, don't worry about it. Bless. He cared. But it was too late that night to start the search. <laughs> Even though the police didn't you know, begin the search that night, that did not stop his parents from looking for him. They went back to the overpass with the torch. They searched their home and their property, um, but they didn't turn up anything useful. Oh, God. They went home to try and get some sleep, but that was not so successful. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine, like being that panicked as you would be and then Mm. having to just go home and go to bed yeah but i guess it gets to a point where you're like well there's nothing more that we can do especially in the dark Mm. so just got to try and you know get some rest for the next day yeah because they were back out by 4 30 in the morning (laughs) i just i don't imagine that they would have slept to be honest like just the anxiety and the panic and worry that you would be going through i just don't imagine that they would have got a wink of sleep yeah, no, definitely not. I, I watched an interview with them and they were like, it was it was restless. Like, we didn't really, you know, get any sleep. It was just the act of going to bed, basically. Right, and like, as you're laying there, all of the demons come out to play mm. in your mind and you're just laying there, not able to do anything. Yeah. That would be horrible. Yeah, I, I cannot imagine what was going through their mind at that point. But yeah, they were back up by 4.30 the next morning looking for him again. And later that morning, the police joined the search. <sighs> This is a tough one. <laughs> God. Okay. So the police began searching the surrounding areas. And because I think the area was semi-rural, this included like cane fields and farms. Oh, Lord. Like waterways, backyards, like pretty much anywhere in the surrounding area, they were looking at it, but they didn't find him. The police didn't muck around at all. I will say like the police did everything in their power to find him. Mm. They released a mass advertising campaign appealing for information. And at the peak of the investigation, they had over 100 officers working in. Wow. So the investigation into Daniel's appearance became one of the biggest and most extensive in Queensland's history. Wow. They weren't going to let him just be missing. They they wanted to find him mm. and quickly. Yeah, because isn't that a thing? Like if you don't find a missing person within, what is it, 70, 48 or 72 hours or something like that? It's Yeah, it's pretty much done. <sighs> Which is ridiculous. But, I mean, isn't that what, like, the first 48's about? Yeah. (laughs) But they weren't letting that happen (laughs) with this one. They had set up an incident room and established Operation Vista within the first three days of him going missing. They just just weren't mucking around. They were going to find him, basically. Yeah. I think that was the attitude going into it. And I think his parents were hounding them, (laughs) basically. As you would. really not letting them forget Mm. that Daniel was still out there. So, as a result of the advertising campaign for information, they did receive a lot of reports from people. Uh Uh-oh. But there were so many and they were so conflicting that it was hard for them to sort of search through and figure out which ones were real or which ones made sense. It was hard. So, there were a lot of people that said that they seen Daniel waiting for the bus. Some said they did see a man with him. Some said two. Some said three. Uh, they, They said there was a blue car parked nearby. And even a few people called and said that they seen a child being manhandled into a vehicle. But it's so hard to tell what's the truth here and what's people. I sometimes feel like people think they see something when they don't really. Yeah, I agree. If that makes sense. So a lot of these reports were were hard to differentiate between. But the blue card did get mentioned in a few of them. So they started with that. They had witnesses come in and they showed them different blue sedans to try and at least identify the make and model mm-hmm. to see if they could find at least that. Yep. And I think that was successful. 
but I'll give you a spoiler. It, it was it had nothing to do with it. Oh, no. <laughs> they were concentrating in the wrong place at the beginning, but how could they have possibly known that? Right. I, I feel for them because how are you meant to sort through people's random thoughts of what they might have seen on that day? Yeah, that's it too. And I think sometimes, like, it's so it's so natural to want to be so helpful in these circumstances. Whenever you hear of a child missing, you're constantly just like, okay, what can I do? How can I help? Um, and I think that's just new human nature. But I think sometimes people just try to help without mm. really fully realizing what they're what they've seen, and so it just comes out as like word vomit. Like this is exactly what I saw, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it's so unrefined that it then just and you've got so many people doing this too. It just steers people in a wrong like the wrong direction. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if you asked me what I seen earlier today, I couldn't tell you with any like amount of detail. Right, because I mean, as far as you know it, like you're just driving along and there's just random yeah. people standing at the side of the road. Like, there's just people waiting at a bus stop. Could I tell you who they are? <laughs> no. That's it. Like, why would that be suspicious? Mm, exactly. I do think that there's like a lot of human error in reporting on things because. Like, we're not paying attention. We're not assuming that a crime is being committed. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Not not saying that you shouldn't call if you think you've seen something. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying it's hard for the police when not everyone's accurate. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, you're not driving around during the day thinking, okay, well, I need to make a, men- a mental note of absolutely everything in case someone's doing something illegal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Despite the huge effort from Queensland Police... Daniel would be missing for eight years. <gasps> eight years? Eight years. It's a long fucking time. Oh, that is so long. <sighs> yeah. Such a long time, for, especially for his parents to just know nothing yeah. about what happened to him. To have absolutely no closure. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, after a certain, a certain amount of time, you probably go, well, he's probably something bad has happened to him. Mm. Like, the likelihood of him being kept somewhere gets, you know, lower and lower. Right. Like, I suppose when you really think about it, the amount of people that are abducted and then unfortunately murdered compared to those that are um, abducted and just held captive, it's a big difference in- Yeah, definitely. Oh, God, that's so sad. It really is. So, in an attempt to get someone to come forward with critical information, the Queensland government offered a $250,000 reward in October of 2004- and they then increased it to one million by December of two thousand and eight. Wow! But that was also unsuccessful. I do wonder how many people would have just tried to jump on that. Then, yeah, I know. I, th- I think that too. I'm like, if you offer a reward, it just becomes people trying to get the money, mm. and they're like, well, maybe I might get something right. So I just say stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is disgusting. But nothing came of anything from the the reward being offered. I just can't get over the fact of like two to three minutes. Yeah, I know. Like, it's so fucking quick. Especially if it's on a rural road. Like, who would have seen anything in that two to three yeah. minutes? Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, they still had no evidence whatsoever. Like, nothing. There was nothing. There was, you know, they didn't find a body. They didn't find, like, say, like, some of his clothes or, like, there was nothing. They had nothing to go off. He just vanished. Yeah, pretty much. So because they had no evidence, they started to looking into sex offenders that were in the area because they thought maybe one of them had abducted him. This is where we get to the suspects. Oh, God. But at this stage, police had identified more than 20 people of interest purely based off that. 
Okay. Which is terrifying. That is terrifying. That's very concerning. <laughs> yeah, but I'm only going to tell you about five of them. Oh, and yay. And it's not too long. Douglas Bryan Jackway was identified early on as he had a long history of sexual assaults on children. He sounds like a jackass. Oh, I, can, I hate this guy so much. I'm sorry, because I, I googled his name to try and find out more about him. And, oh, I hate this guy. (laughs) He is currently, as in right now in this very moment, in jail for the rape of a young girl and the sexual assault of a boy. What? I'm going to get heated here because (sighs) this guy's a pile of trash. He was sexually assaulted himself as a child and has been described as a ticking time bomb. Um, So he's a repeat offender. That is just not okay. He's been in another jail since he was 15. Like, I don't... (sighs) Yeah, no, it's so, like, it makes me so angry. (laughs) I understand that really shitty things happen to people and I understand that and I understand that that shapes people, especially when it happens to you at a young age and I get that 100%. But I mean, to be described as a ticking time bomb, there must have been red flags. Oh, obviously. And I just think if you were sexually assaulted as a child, surely you would not want that inflicted on anyone else. If you know how bad it is and how much you you probably suffered from it. Why would you want that for anyone else? I have read, though, that it in some of those instances, it becomes less about the act itself and more about the subconscious, t- like, taking back of power, <laughs> which- Are you okay? I just choked on my cider. Okay. I was getting too <laughs> heated and choked on my cider. Oh, yeah, no. It makes me so angry. <sighs> I'm stuck on the ticking time bomb. I'm, ma- I'm mad. I'm mad. I don't understand why he was let out of jail at any point. If he's a repeat offender, I mean, he's in jail right now, which I can take some solace in that. But he's currently trying to get his latest conviction appealed to get out of jail. So I have no sympathy for this man whatsoever. No. What's his first name? Douglas? Douglas, yeah. Fuck off, Douglas. We don't like you. Yeah, we really don't like you at all. Okay. So the second one was Brett Peter Cohen. He was also a known pedophile in the area and had two previous convictions. Why are they all there? (laughs) Why are they being let out of jail? It makes me think about how these guys are all in just, like, a close area. Mm. But the thing is, you probably have more in your area than you know. Right, and that is terrifying. Yeah, it is. I I totally agree. Ugh, gross. So, he was out of jail at the time and in the area when Daniel went missing. Good. So, that was why he was a suspect. The other suspects I couldn't find much info on because the inquest kind of protected people. So the fact that I got two names is unusual, but I think it got leaked. So so I just have their code names. Oh. That was used in the inquest. Um, code so names. Were, so P20. <laughs> that's a shit code name. <laughs> yeah, I know. They were just like P number. Ugh. Yeah. <gasps> Do you think that's <laughs> pedophile number? I thought it was like person of interest, but uh. that also could be it. No, actually, because this person isn't a pedophile. No. So, P20, he actually committed suicide just three days after the police questioned him about Daniel. Oh. Which does sound suspicious. That does- that's- yeah, that's really suspicious. But um, he was only linked to the case because of his close proximity physically to Daniel when he went missing. But his criminal history had nothing to do with children. It was all, like, property and drug offences. Wow. And his suicide note didn't mention anything about Daniel or the disappearance at all. Okay. So I actually don't – I mean, I know it wasn't that guy. <laughs> yeah, so it was but, more like a cool winky dink that – Yeah, I think it was maybe just – maybe the police pushed him over the edge, maybe. Right, he was in a bad spot. 
already. Yeah. Um, I think obviously there was something going on with him previous to that. And maybe mm. that was just a tipping point. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Uh, there was something definitely going on with him, but it wasn't anything to do with Daniel. Okay. So we can st- strike P20 off our list. Okay. Uh, so the other two were P23 and P24. They were considered suspects after they were found in bushland with a young boy in 2004. Oh, for fuck's sake. They had been grooming the child through a pedophile chat room called Boy Love. No, stop um, it. Yeah, it's bad. It's fucking, it's so bad. Um, but these men didn't have any history of violence towards children. They just wanted to be in a relationship with one, which I'm like, how can you say just in that situation? But right, like I that makes it okay. <laughs> like, I suppose I'm, uh, I can't even justify it. Like, no, you can't. Like, there's no way to justify it. They're all shitbags. <laughs> God. Okay. <laughs> like, there's no other way to put it. These are all terrible people. So this was P23 or P24? And P24. The two of them work together. Okay. Well, fuck off P23 to P24. Yeah, we don't like you either. Fuck yeah, right off. you're on my shit list. <laughs> <sighs> Man, I can't, Andrew. <laughs> God, I really should have spiked this cider. Yeah, no, seriously, it's... It's not going to get any easier from here. If anything, it's going to get worse. Oh, God. Just a fair warning. Okay. So, after almost seven years of no real leads, being able to find Daniel or his body, a coronial inquest was launched in October 2010. The inquest only went ahead, though, because Daniel's parents finally like convinced the coroner to hold one. They were hounding the coroner constantly, saying that something needed to be done because, I mean – I'm sure the police worked really hard, and it sounds like a lot of good police work went into this case, but they were turning up nothing. Yeah. So they were like, something else needs to happen. Right. Well, I mean, they're waiting around for seven years. They've waited long enough. It's time for them to, like, it's time for the coroner and and whoever else to- To do something. Do a little bit more. Because, I mean, like, the inquest still doesn't, you know, guarantee that they're going to uncover any other information. Mm. But- it's better than doing nothing. I, I totally get where his parents are coming from. Because yeah. they were they were like calling the police every day. They were calling the coroner every day. Ugh. Like they were not letting anyone forget about this. They were not letting it go on like a cold case file like pile. There was no way that that was happening for them. Right. Oh, that would be so oh, that's heartbreaking. It really is. It, yeah, it is. I I f- Okay, so the first time I cried when I was researching this was when I was watching an interview with them because you can still see in their faces how much it hurts them that Daniel is not with them. Oh. I am going to put, like, a link to that interview um, on our website in, like, my resources because I used a fair bit of what they said. But especially his mother, she just looks like she's on the verge of tears the entire time. And it was just so heartbreaking to watch them talk about Daniel and everything they had to do to get a resolution. That breaks I, my I just heart. Can't imagine. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what they were going through, especially like for so long. Mm, God. The inquest heard evidence from 60 witnesses, and at this stage, they had 35 persons of interest. Jesus Christ. The inquest, the initial one, went from October 2010 to April 2011. That's how long it took them to go through the evidence that they had, which wasn't much to begin with. So, the inquest zeroed in on one suspect in particular, which was Brett Peter Cohen. During the inquest, his alibi fell apart. Oh, no. So, he claimed that when Daniel went missing, he was picking up a mulcher from a friend's place and that he'd also visited his drug dealer. Because the drug dealer 100% would vouch for you. (laughs) Weirdly, she kind of did. No, Um, she didn't. Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, no, she did. Her name was Sandra Drummond. (sighs) 
And he claimed that while he was also at Sandra's home, her partner, Kevin Fitzgerald, came out and looked at the mulcher in the back of his four-wheel drive. That last detail was his undoing because he had never mentioned it before that day. Right. And so Sandra and Kevin both gave evidence at the inquest. And when they were asked about it, they said they couldn't say with certainty that Brett was there that day, but that it was entirely possible. Which I get because who's marking their drug deals down in a calendar? Right. But, you know, he went there regularly, so it was entirely possible that he went there that day. However, Kevin didn't remember anything about the mulcher at all, and he's sure he would have remembered. He even went as far to say, and this is a direct quote, something like that, if I'd walked out and looked at the thing, I'd still know to this day what type of engine was powering it. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm like, that's a really odd thing to, like, zero in on, but okay. Right. (laughs) You're talking about the disappearance of an innocent child, but I'm going to talk about this fucking mulcher with passion. Right? Like, I am (laughs) going to understand that engine (laughs) if it is the last thing I do. Yeah, it's it's weird, but... Okay. (laughs) It's a weird detail, but it's the thing that undid his alibi. Like, I'm glad that it... I'll take it. ...that it helped, but I mean, what a a random thing. Yeah, like, (laughs) the randomest thing I've ever heard (laughs) to undo an alibi, but... Okay. It worked. So we'll take it. Um, so this is where this story gets really fucking crazy. And it just kind of highlights. And I'm, I mean, I know right now the climate of the world is to not like police. And I totally get that. And that's justified and all of those things. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the police did the right thing. Yeah. Due to his slip up and his alibi being completely shot, Queensland police set up one of the biggest covert operations in Australia's history. And the details of it are so wild. I'm going to tell you, don't worry, but it's just crazy. I love covert ops. Oh, man. It makes me, like, mm. it makes me think of, like, when we play Rainbow Six Siege and we're, like, (laughs) scaling the wall and it's like, do, 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 do. (laughs) Well, this is a bit different to that. Oh. It's an undercover operation. Okay, so less scaling walls. Less scaling walls, more pretending to be drug dealers. Oh, fuck Yeah. (laughs) So, while they didn't have any direct evidence against Cohen, they were still pretty sure he was the guy. So, they couldn't arrest him straight away. So, they used something called the Mr. Big covert method to try and get information out of him. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. But <laughs> it just makes me think of- um, Sex in the Sex City. In the City. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's not what it is, oh. like, at all. That's disappointing. That's definitely what it is. <laughs> this method involves creating a fictitious crime group that consists of undercover cops and they work over a period of months or even years to gain the confidence of the suspect to elicit a confession. Right. So, like, the Mr. Big is, like, the gang's leader. Oh, like, the gang's that is leader. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's usually only used in cold case murders where traditional methods of investigations haven't been able to solve it. Okay. I just, I, I, I love that they, they went to this length. To, to find Daniel. Yeah, absolutely. So the operation had a total of 36 undercover cops working on it, and they started literally the day after the inquest. Okay. When Colm was on the flight back home to WA where he was living in 2011, an undercover officer was seated next to him on the plane. Oh my God. Yeah. It's at this point where I'm like, yeah, fuck him. He's going to get what's coming to him. So I'm like getting excited about it. Absolutely. Oops. I got so excited I hit my microphone. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the offer, um, sorry, the officer that was seated next to him went under the name of Joe, obviously not his real name. Oh, hell yeah. And struck up a conversation with him. That is so amazing. Like, 
the fact that they got a seat right next to him. Like, and I understand that, like, they'd have this, like, the pull and be able to, like, manipulate these situations into their favor to be able to do these mm. things. It reminds me of this video that I watched about, like, this lady who worked for the CIA um, or the FBI or something like that in America. And she did all of the, um, like, the costumes. and Well, not the costumes, but she would, like, prep people's, um, oh. uh, what do they call it? Like, secret identity. Oh, that's so cool. And it was so interesting. And this is just reminding me of that. And I'm just like, (laughs) oh, my God, they're not just putting on a mustache. No, they're really not. They're, like, creating entire new identities. Like, it's crazy. It's insane. From the conversation on the flight, which, honestly, it's, like, five hours, isn't it? So, it's quite a while. But as a result of that, they exchanged phone numbers. Nice. So, over the next few weeks, Joe befriended Cohen. He helped him find a car. They went out sightseeing together in Fremantle. You know, all of that good stuff. <laughs> I'm just getting this mental image of, like, this guy that's, like, just taking notes and shit. And then there's this yeah. just janky, fucked up person that's just like, I have a new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine him, like, linking arms and skipping down, like, the yeah, floor shot. Yeah, you know, exactly, like, <laughs> like, while, like, oh, what's that song that's from the Cabri ads? Oh, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> yeah, like, that's playing in the background as I skip <laughs> off into the sunset. <laughs> I'm so sorry I'm joking about this, but it's it's kind of hard because, okay, you have to be a particular kind of person, I think, to be an undercover cop because this guy doesn't, I mean, doesn't know for a fact, but it's pretty sure that this guy has done something horrible to a child and has somehow managed to befriend him. Right, like, you're really really close at this point yeah to uncovering what could potentially be the truth but like you're so involved at this point but also you can't fuck up even slightly because it could mess up the entire operation right it would be so much pressure but then you're also like making friends with this guy that you know is a scumbag Mm. i i don't know how these guys did it i honestly don't especially if like the time period they did it for yeah how did they pack that away and yeah. like, okay, like, that's done. Like, that was a job and push that away to the side. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Props I, too, I though. Like, that would be very difficult to do. Yeah, definitely. Eventually, Cohen confided in Joe that he was broke and he needed work. And this was, like, the operation's huge opportunity to move forward. This is when Joe introduced him to his friend, Paul, who was another undercover cop. <gasps> Paul offered Cohen some work doing some minor illegal activities, like selling stolen goods, debt collecting, uh, selling firearms which is very illegal in australia uh-huh. and some small drug deals nice guy paul <laughs> paul's uh paul's hooking him up cohen quickly became a part of this small time gang and got to know everyone who was involved which were obviously all other undercover cops this was where the police introduced him to the mr big of the gang Oof. so paul offered cohen to be a part of a big upcoming job that could potentially earn him about 100k Oof. but before he could be involved in work that big he needed to be run past you know the top of the gang yep which was another guy called arnold who was obviously also another undercover cop arnold what arnold yeah i feel like arnold is just one of those names it's like not common enough that everyone's like an arnold whereas like you know joe and paul but arnold's just that bit ambiguous to be intimidating Mm. of a name yeah definitely i mean i'm gonna mention it later but the conversation that him and Arnold have, the whole thing's recorded and you can watch it. And Arnold's intimidating. Arnold <laughs> I would sounds be intimidated like he would by be. Him. Yeah. And, like, the way he talks is so, like, forceful. Like, you just wouldn't argue with him. Oof. Like, he played the role so well. It, it's ridiculous. 
I bet he's like the real person behind Arnold is an absolute marshmallow of a human being. Yeah, I reckon. (laughs) I totally reckon. I totally believed his performance. Yeah, he just did a really good job at it. So Arnold needed to make sure that Cohen wouldn't be a liability to their gang. And he needed to get any info on uh, Cohen's past to make sure that it wouldn't come back and bite them when he's doing, you know, all this illegal stuff for them. Uh And he had just received another summons in July of 2011 to give evidence again as part of Daniel's inquest. So there was definitely like a spotlight on that. And they wanted all the details because they didn't want that to have any implications with the gang. Right. Yeah. That's how they lured him into basically an interview to confess. Oh, wow. In August of 2011, Cohen had a meeting with Arnold in a hotel to sort the whole thing out. Okay. So this was all, it's all recorded by video and audio and you can find it on YouTube. I will link it as well because I mean, it's really long. It's like two hours long, but it's worth it if you're interested. Just all of the details I go through, it's insane. And the fact that Cohen actually told him in the first place is crazy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Cohen didn't know it was being recorded, but in this meeting, they finally got what they wanted out of the whole operation. He confessed to everything. Wow. So, it's worth noting, at this point, when this meeting is taking place, it's eight years after Daniel went missing. God damn. It's amazing that they were able to get him to open up um, and get him to the point where he could just confess. Mm. It's just, it's such a shame that it took eight years as well, because that's a whole, like, that's a family that had to spend eight years of, like, birthdays, Christmases, family get-togethers, like, the anniversary of his disappearance. And going through that turmoil is, oh, so horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. And I'm, like, because I'm I'm pretty sure that, like, his parents were kept up to date with everything that was happening (laughs) to know that all of this was happening and that, you know, potentially they were going to get a confession and then just, like, having to sit there and wait for it. Right. I can't. can't, Yeah, I just can't. (laughs) I think, I feel like she would be just, the family would just be sitting there waiting by the phone, bated breath, just waiting for the call to say that they- I mean, this was months of work. Right. Like, I suppose when you hear these things, it's like, it's so condensed. It's like, okay, well, this was like quick succession, but eight years and then months of undercover work as well. Yeah. Ugh, it's a lot. If if you do watch the confession, you're going to be mad. I'm going to warn you right now. I was- I was so angry. He's Cowan, he's like so flippant about the whole thing. He just didn't care at all about what he had done and he just really wanted to save himself. He's just a piece of shit, basically. What an asshole. To um, demonstrate this, I'm going to read out a really small part of the transcript, just the part where he actually confesses to it. But it's so long if you want to check it out. I highly recommend it because, I mean, it's going to make you mad, but you're going to get all the details, basically. Arnold said, like I said, all right, honestly, trust, respect, all right. You know where you're going, you know what your options are here, and you know the information I've got. Like I said, I paid good people good money to keep us quiet, and if I've got to postpone what we're going to do for a few months to sort this out, I'm happy to do that for your sake, all right? Because I'm told that you're pretty loyal, and you've built up a good relationship with some of the boys. They speak very highly of you. Cowan says, I appreciate that. Arnold says, so what do I need, so what do I need to fix? Cowan says, yeah, okay, yeah, no, nah, I did it. That's all he says. Just like that. Just like that. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, I did it. And he says it, like, in that tone as well. Like, I'm not just, you know, giving him a voice. Like, that's the tone. Just like, oh, yeah, in. you know, I had a chocolate paddle pop. Yeah. 
So sorry, I interrupted there because it makes me so mad. <laughs> so Arnold said after that, okay, so you did it. But what I'm saying is I need to take you right back to the whole to the whole thing. So if there's anything like, I don't know, if they've got any DNA or any of that kind of shit. And Cohen just says, there's no DNA. That is, oh, that's making me I'm, angry. I'm not going to keep going through the transcript because there's so much, but he's just so flippant that it makes me so angry. Like so like, casual about it. Oh, it's just so infuriating that. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He does not give a shit. Right. Like, at all. Like, I mean, he's gotten away with it for eight years at this point. Yeah. So, he doesn't care. Yeah. Oh, that is disgusting. I don't know. I guess because, you know, I'm a normal human being, I don't know how you could not have any guilt. Yeah, I, w- I would be riddled with guilt. Yeah, same. I would be thinking about that every day from the moment I woke up for the rest of my life. I would not be able to, like, live with myself for doing it. But this guy, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I did it. Yeah, I did it, and then I had a Caesar salad on the way home. Yeah, like, I hate this guy. (laughs) Gross. If I haven't made you angry enough, I'm actually going to tell you a bit more about the human garbage pile Brett Peter Cohen is. Yay! (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) I just really want to paint a picture of how awful a human being this guy is. Oh, God, okay. He was 44 years old at the time of his arrest for Daniel's murder, but by this point he'd already had a history of crime against children. He even brazenly told the inquest after his arrest that by the time he was 18, he'd already preyed upon 30 children. Ugh, disgusting. Disgusting. Fuck off. Doesn't even cover it. It's beyond. Yeah. So his first actual conviction, though, was in 1989 after he was caught with a seven-year-old boy (sighs) while he was working as a landscaper at a school. He took the boy into the school toilets and repeatedly raped him until one of the teachers came looking for him. I fucking no. I watched an interview with this boy that was on 60 Minutes and I got so emotional watching it because he is still so emotional about it. And that was in 1989. That is so horrible. This man now is broken because of what happened to him. You can see it all over his face when he's talking about it. Like he struggled so much just to talk about it. And that was so long ago. One person was single-handedly ruined this man's life. I don't want to say ruined because, you know, he's, he's married now. He has a family. <laughs> yeah. I don't think his life is ruined, but I definitely think it changed his life enough for the better. Like, I think he has struggled since then. Yeah. I just feel like it's something that you live with for so long and you, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but you live with it. Like, you learn to live with yeah. it, but it shouldn't be something that somebody has to learn to live with at all. Yeah, he was saying in the interview that the way that Cohen kind of, I guess, not groomed him, but sort of convinced him that he was like a good guy was like, it was during like lunch or recess or something. And he was letting the boy help him. You know how like kids want to just like help and feel important and stuff. So he like gained this little boy's trust by doing that and being really nice and friendly and all of that. And then he just suddenly picked him up and like physically took him to the toilet. And just flipped the switch. And just flipped the switch. Oh, God. I can't imagine how damaging that would be for a child to someone they thought they were trusting to just flip on them like that. Right. However, I think probably the worst detail of this is that even though he was arrested, because obviously he got busted with the child, he only spent two years in jail. I don't understand. Like, he changed that man's life forever for a purely selfish act for no reason, pretty much. And he only got two years in jail. It makes me so angry. Right. So angry. (laughs) Two years versus this man's whole life. Yeah. It's not enough. It's nowhere near enough. It never is, though. Like, and that's a problem. And, like, 
I don't know. I don't know how the justice system works enough to, like, for change and blah, 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 blah. Like, I just know that that is not enough. No, two years, it's nothing. Right. Like, considering how young the child was, how yeah. horrible of an act that was, and how much, how long that will sit with that person, like. Yeah, no, I think it's a disgustingly low jail sentence. Anyway, it's going to get worse. Good. Sorry. Love it. Callum was living in a Darwin caravan park in 1993 when he decided to molest and violently attack a young boy that lived in the same caravan park. He left the poor boy to die in an abandoned (gasps) car in bushland by putting him in the car's trunk. No. Somehow, the boy managed to get out of of the car. I don't know how. I'm sure he probably doesn't know how, but he got out eventually and he walked back to the caravan park. Oh my god. Naked and bleeding with a punctured lung. (gasps) What? He was so badly hurt that the residents at the caravan park thought he'd been hit by a car. Oh my god. They interviewed his girlfriend at the time, Cowan's girlfriend at the time, who was there when the boy came back to the caravan park. And she said that he looked so bad that, yeah, they thought that he'd been hit by a car. Oh my god. God. They didn't understand what had happened to him straight away. Oh. That is so – I don't even have words to describe how horrific that is. Yeah, it's it's so awful. I I commend this this poor young boy, though, that he managed to survive because I'm not sure everyone would. Oh, God. Get locked into a car trunk and then left there. What the fuck? So to make matters worse, to to really, really make you angry, Colin was arrested – and only served seven years for that one. Oh, and by this point, he's got a criminal record. He's a repeat offender. Yeah, so by this point, they know that he has a past. They know that he's essentially escalating in mm-hmm. his violent behavior. Yep. I don't understand. <laughs> me either. When I read that, I'm like, are oh, you? fucking kidding me i don't understand how the punishment wouldn't be more severe for a repeat offender i just i don't understand i don't understand how he would be let out to just offend again yeah by the time that we get to daniel's disappearance he's been out of jail for three years at that point cowan moved to queensland in 1998 but i don't know like i kind of think that so we've got two examples of where he's you know really violently attacked children Mm mm-hmm but I reckon he has more victims that have never come forward. Yeah. Because to have like 10 years, I mean, well, it's actually three since he was in jail, but even three years, I'm not sure that he would be able to control himself completely in that time. Well, considering how much he escalated between the first and the second known mm. case, that's a big difference. Yeah. I have a feeling because like even between like 89 and 93, he was only in jail for two of those years. I have a feeling that there's probably more. Mm. that no one knows about because they've never come forward. I just, I don't see how, like, this shitbag clearly had no self-control. So how was he able to control himself for literal years Mm. in between attacks? Or even after Daniel, because he was still running around free for fucking eight years. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's, it's... it's so It's so bad, and I just feel so angry that the justice system has failed so much in this case, because if they had just kept him in longer... Daniel would still be alive. Right. I don't know enough about the world and the justice system here in Australia to be like, well, this is what we should do to fix this. Like, 
to prevent this from happening again. Like, I know that there's a lot of heated people that say they should be put to death and blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's a lot of people that just say that they should be locked up for life. And I just, there's other people that say that they should be chemically, like, castrated. I just don't know what the answer is. And I don't know whether that's because, like, I don't know enough about the system or if it's because I just cannot fathom how people can be that deranged to mm, yeah. act upon those impulses or even have those impulses in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to be walking around with all of these urges going on inside you. Like, I, I cannot relate to that. No. I don't know what it would be like. But what I do know is that pedophiles in particular apparently are one of the highest reoffenders. So they get punished, they get released, they just do it again. So I'm like, if you can't rehabilitate these people, why are you letting them out? Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. You're just letting them out to do it all over again. Right. Um, and, you know, in as you can see in this case with, um, with Cohen, he just escalates every single time. Yeah, it's just they finish their sentence and it's just like, okay, well, off you go. Like, please don't do that again handshake yeah i don't i don't know enough about the system where like i don't know what kind of services they were providing to these people whether they are making attempts to rehabilitate them from this particular issue or if it is just a case of your time served goodbye like Mm. i I don't know but (laughs) clearly it's not enough (laughs) yeah like i definitely uh, i just i don't know what the answer is because i feel like there has to be change because you just can't have people like that running around because i mean that could happen to somebody else or i'm sure that is Mm. that has happened to somebody else you know and we just don't know about it yeah exactly because not everyone who gets sexually assaulted comes forward exactly so it's really hard to say yeah and let alone like the big media coverage about these things as well you know like Mm. um not all sex offenders are caught (laughs) It's, yeah, it, unfortunately. It fucking blows my mind. Like, I, I, it's frustrating because on one hand, you're like, no more, like, more needs to be done. More needs, more action needs to be done because these people are filth and no, just fuck off. No, you're trash. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, it's hard because, like, I'm like, I should be because, you know, this is obviously going to be our conversation right now is going to be public and people can judge it. I'm like, I should try and be diplomatic and say, well, you know, we should do these things. But in my mind, I'm like, no, these are dirtbags that are like the scum of society and mm. they need to be in jail. <laughs> I'm very conflicted. <laughs> I'm. It's difficult because like on one hand, like you do have uh, crime and people that commit offenses and they do these things because of the way they were brought up or circumstances or blah, blah, blah. blah but they still know enough right from wrong. Yeah. You do not touch children in that way because it's fucking wrong. It's inappropriate. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely 1000% agree. But then you have people like recently that have been coming out and saying that, you know, thinking about children in a sexual manner should be part of, you know, <laughs> the spectrum of sexuality. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. And obviously that's fucking trash because, and I don't care. I don't care. I'm, I'm happy to say this. That couldn't be more incorrect because a child can never give you consent. Right. A child is a child and they cannot consent. Exactly. Because they don't understand what they're consenting to, so they can never consent. Exactly. That is why we have laws where (laughs) you, like, at a certain age, you reach adulthood and you can go out and you can buy 
alcohol, you can buy cigarettes because you are now, and I even think that 18 at some point is just not the right age. Like you're still fucking for me, but you're more. Oh, I wasn't mature enough at 18. I can tell you that. <laughs> right. But you're still, you still have a little bit more of an understanding of how that world works to make some form of a slightly educated judgment. Mm. You at least have a better understanding. Right. Of the things that you're consenting to. But when you're talking about a five or a six or younger, fucking heaven forbid. Oh, no. I'm going to tell you something that I left out of my notes that I can't believe I forgot to put in. Um, when he was initially questioned, like back when he was just a suspect, like just another list in their um, pedophiles to go through, he told them that there was no way that he could be involved in Daniel's disappearance because Daniel was too old for him. Oh, for f- I had to bite my tongue? <laughs> yeah, no, it's bad. It's all around bad. Like there's, n- I don't know how as a police officer you could hear that and let him leave. I just, I just don't. I <laughs> I don't. I have <laughs> yeah. no fucking words. Yeah. Like, in, in what way do you think that that is okay? Like, rather than saying, no, he's too young for me and go the route that every sane fucking person would go, oh, no, sorry, he's too old for me. <laughs> the fuck? Just a complete piece of shit is basically what I'm getting at. Oh, disgusting. Cowan said that seeing Daniel was pure coincidence. This was not planned. He just passed him while driving, and he took advantage of seeing a young boy on his own. So what happened to the man? So Cowan was the man. The James Dean man? The James Dean man. He, he That was Cowan. He just decided to pull over and... <gasps> yep. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now... I can now tell you exactly what happened oh God. that day that Daniel disappeared. Well, at least according to his confession. I don't buy all of it, by the way, but we'll go into that as I go through... <laughs> So, according to the transcript of the confession, Cowan saw Daniel on the side of the road while waiting for the bus. He took the next left-hand turn and went and parked at a nearby car park. He then walked down to where Daniel was waiting for the bus and pretended to be waiting as well. When the replacement bus failed to stop, he asked Daniel if he would like a lift to the shopping centre because he was already going there. And Daniel said yes. So, all of the stuff that witnesses said about someone being manhandled into a car didn't happen. My heart is beating so fast right now. Daniel just agreed because I'm assuming that he was just a young boy who thought that everyone was nice and that this man was genuinely just offering him a lift. Right. I mean, at that age, you don't necessarily know that the world is a shit place and that, like, you, I, I'm sure you understand that there's shit human yeah. beings out there, but- You don't expect it to be a man who's waiting for the bus with you. Exactly. Yeah. Cowan said that he only had a 90-second window to get him in his car. <sighs> Fuck's sake. 90 seconds. That's all it took. I know we talked about that before, but I really just want to reiterate how fucking quickly this all happened. So in 90 seconds, he's asked him if he wants a lift and has gotten him in the car. That is so fast. So instead of driving him to the shopping plaza, Cowan drove him to a secluded spot just off Coochin Creek, where he knew of an abandoned house because apparently he had taken people there before. Oh. In the confession... Cowan claims that he didn't get to molest him, which I don't believe, personally. <sighs> don't believe it. Why? Why Why wouldn't he have? A man with his history, why would he have not taken advantage? I don't understand why he mm. wouldn't have. But he, he claims that he didn't get to molest him. And honestly, I kind of hope that's true because I would hate for that to be Daniel's last moments of life. Yeah. Oh, God. Absolutely. But- I have doubts. He said that he panicked before he got to do it and strangled him to death. No, I, on one hand, I want to believe that so much because I mean, yep, he's 14. He's significantly bigger than the person, like the kid that was at the caravan park. But 
oh, and I, I just, I, oh God, I have no words. I have no words. I mean, none of it's good. None of it's a good outcome. We know that already. But yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope that, that was the case. Just so Daniel was spared at least that. But I just don't understand why he wouldn't have. Which is horrible to say, but this guy's a piece of shit who's proven that he will take advantage. So yeah, once Daniel was dead, he put Daniel's body in his four-wheel drive and drove about 150 meters away from the house. He got Daniel's body out of the car again and dragged him down the embankment near a creek. He then stripped Daniel of all of his clothes and covered his body with branches and took the clothes with him when he left. And while he was on his way home, he threw them out a car window into a creek. That's where I get kind of sus because I'm like, why would you have taken his clothes off? Yeah. Yeah, I had that it's, thought. I feel like the only reason you would take his clothes off is because maybe there was evidence on them. Mm-hmm. DNA. Yeah. That's, I, I hope he's telling the truth. Um, but there were other um, things that he said in his confession that were proven to be lies later. So I'm like, you can't trust this guy. I mean, obviously. But this is the story he's telling. Cal went back a week later to try and conceal the body better after it got so much media attention and there was so much, you know, like police presence and people looking for him. But he couldn't find more than a fragment of a bone when he went back. What? So, I, yeah, I don't know how that happened, but because it was only about a week. Bodies don't just decompose like that. Right, you don't and, just become a skeleton in one week. Yeah, exactly. And Daniel wasn't put in water either. He was on land, so there would be no reason for his body to decompose that quickly. Yeah. But that's what he said. He said he found only a bone fragment and he broke it up with a shovel and buried it. In the confession, um, Arnold insisted that Cowan take him to the site where he buried Daniel to make sure that they could clear it of any evidence. But when they got to the site and got out of the car, that's when the police arrested him. Thank fucking God. I cannot, like, can you imagine this guy, Arnold, right? So he's gotten the confession. He knows this fuckwit's done it. Uh-huh. And he still has to wait. Until they get to the site. Can you imagine, though, sitting there while this piece of shit recounts all of this, like, this horrible, horrible crime. Yeah. And have to keep a straight face. And- Doesn't bother you yeah. at all. If, if you look at the video, he does so well. He just, like, moves straight through it. Like, he, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know that he cared. <laughs> like, Arnold, I mean- yeah. He kept a straight face. He just moved straight through the information, just kept asking questions. I can't imagine what was going on internally for him. And then sitting in the car with him to yeah. go to the site and have to still be in character. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to sit with this fuckwit for however long it took you to get there because I'm sure they didn't go, like, straight away. So you've had to wait all that time. You have to, like, go there, be in the car with him and still have to be in character, have a straight face. But at least, I guess because you know they're getting arrested at the end. Mm. But it would still be so hard. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I would have I would have arrested him way before this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if had they not arrested him, I probably would have, like, jumped over and, like, just pummeled him. I don't know. I feel like after he's arrested, like, whoever the person was that was Arnold, you would just sit back and just be like, holy fuck. Yeah. And I'd cry. I would. Yeah, same. I have to think that after, like, holding it together for so long, there'd have to be some kind of, like, emotional outburst about it. Mm. So they know what's happened, or at least the best version they're going to get of what's happened. Now that they know where he buried Daniel's body, a forensic team was put together in two days after Cohen's arrest. Wow. Like, they moved quickly. And it took the forensic team three months of searching the area 
before they found what they could. It was a long and tedious process where they were literally on their hands and knees going through sand and dirt wow. to try and find Daniel's body. Oh, God. And uh, spoiler alert, they don't find the whole thing. So, <sighs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's been eight years. I guess, you know, the earth could have shifted and stuff. And because it was nearby a creek, I'm sure, like, rain and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I was just – I really want some form of – just some peaceful outcome for his family. Yeah. I mean, this is the best they're going to get. And I do think that at least finding him it probably is the closure that they needed. Yeah, it presents some closure knowing that the shitbag that did this is... Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine how satisfying that would have been for them. Just, oh, I can't believe that. Like, eight years and it just... Eight years and it took him 90 seconds to get Daniel into the car. I mean, if, if we go back over what we said before, that means it did not matter what the police did. He was already dead. Yeah. He was dead by the time he was reported missing. Before anyone even noticed. Yeah. Before anyone even knew that he was missing, he was dead. <sighs> that's so sad. That's that's hard. I think that would be a hard pill to swallow for the cops that worked on it, that there was nothing that they could do, that he was already gone. But all of their efforts led like the, it led to the arrest. So it was still all worth it. Mm. I think it'd just be hard to know that even as they were looking, he was already gone. I feel like that would be particularly hard on his on Daniel's um, siblings. Yeah, I think so. He has a twin brother. Yeah, like that. just knowing that that's how quick it all happened. Had, yeah. I think, yeah, like you said earlier, the what ifs would just – yeah, I think that would be the thing that would eat away the most to like, you know, there's so many things though that could have happened differently and we wouldn't have gotten the same outcome. Right. Like, what if the bus didn't break down? What if? What if the replacement bus stopped? What if his brother just said, yep, let me just have this yeah. shower. We'll what go if after. it didn't rain that morning? Then they wouldn't have been there at all. <sighs> God. Like there's so many like little what ifs. Yeah, that could have just changed everything. Yeah, which would be so hard to live with, but obviously none of it's anyone's fault. Like, oh, exactly. None of that was in within anyone's control. Yeah, but absolutely. I can I can imagine I would <laughs> I oh, would be thinking that absolutely <laughs> I would too. Like I'm a sucker for what ifs, and yeah, yeah that would <laughs> that would eat at me. But yeah, so on on day four of the search, they found a shoe. <gasps> it was a Glow brand, which was the same type that Daniel was wearing the day he disappeared. And on day six, they found the matching shoe. But it took another four weeks before they found any bones. My God. So eventually they ended up finding a total of 17 bone fragments. That was all they found. They didn't find anything else, unfortunately. God. A week after the discovery of um, the first bone fragments, they were confirmed to be Daniel's remains after comparing it with DNA taken from his toothbrush. So it was 1,000% Daniel. In the creek where Cohen had thrown Daniel's clothes, they did manage to find a couple of things. They found remnants of his underwear. So it was like basically just the stitching left, but it was still holding the shape of underwear. It was very odd. Wow. They found his belt and they found his shorts. Now, the pair of shorts, um, because I've seen photos of these, they were extremely well preserved. They literally look like someone had thrown them in there yesterday. Wow. I don't know how they managed to stay together that long, but they did. Considering like the underpants was just stitching. So uh, I think maybe like... Like, the shorts weren't entirely in the water or something. Maybe it got caught on something because, yeah, they look so well-preserved. It's crazy. Mm. It it really sucks they didn't find all of Daniel, but at least they found something. (sighs) God. I mean, I think the silver lining 
if you can even like it's, it's grasping at straws at this point but at least he was found yeah. at least they have a confession yeah. at least this guy is was able to be brought to justice but it's still nonetheless a tragedy oh absolutely and um i think one of the one of the worst parts was that his mum in like the interview i watched said that she knew straight away that he wasn't coming back and i'm like you could put that down to just like expecting the worst yeah but i don't know she seemed pretty convinced she's like no i knew something was wrong i knew he wasn't coming back and then she also said that when she seen cohen walk into the inquest before they before his alibi was even shot like before they had organized an investigation and they had the covert operation and all of that she knew it was him she knew she as soon as he walked in she's like i knew straight away it was him mother's instinct exactly oh god we have daniel or some of daniel anyway Obviously, all of this was more than enough evidence to uh, charge Colin with murder. So he was not only charged with murder, he was also charged with indecently dealing with a child under the age of 16 and improperly dealing with a corpse. <sighs> if you weren't angry before, I'm going to make you real angry now. I'm at a fucking, I'm at a complete loss for words at this point. He had the audacity. Oh, God. To plead not guilty. I'm not shocked. I'm with how much of a piece how? of shit this guy like, is, I'm not shocked. So he pled not guilty and refused to give any evidence at the trial. <sighs> of course he did. So, of course, like, he had no conviction to, like, back up what he was saying. Fucking asshole. It's so <sighs> disgusting. Like, mate, you you confess to it. Like, just give the yeah. family <laughs> some closure and some peace of mind. Like, stop being a selfish prick. You've been busted right in it. There's no way that you could go back and say, oh, I didn't mean it. Yeah, like. <laughs> There's too much evidence stacked against you. Like, you're an idiot if you thought that you were going to get away with pleading not guilty. So selfish. The trial started in February of 2014, and just over a month later, he was found guilty on all charges. Good. In March 2014, he was sentenced to life in prison, but he does have a non-parole period of 20 years. There is a possibility that he could walk free again one day. Mm, I hope not. I think that he was lucky to even be given a non-parole period. I don't think that he's going to be let out. No. I don't think that his, like, parole will ever be Not with his history of how violent he is and how much of a risk he poses. Plus, with, like, how much of a high-profile case this is, Mm. I think if anyone suggested letting him out, like, the general public would be outraged. Like, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and I know that they, like, change names and blah, 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 and whatever, whatever, but... It's 2020. People find that shit out so fast. I don't I don't even think it would get to that point. I think people would be outraged well before then. <laughs> like, I just, I don't envision anyone ever approving his parole. Mm. So, I mean, I feel pretty confident that he's going to, he's going to die in prison. And so, so is his mum. She said that, like, with so much conviction when she said it, she's like, oh no, he's never getting out. Good. <laughs> I'm glad that they got closure, but at the same time, I just, it's so fucking sad. Yeah, and, like, it's also senseless. Like, there was no reason for any of this to happen. Right, this guy, this boy was just waiting for the bus. He was trying to go and buy his family fucking Christmas presents for crying out loud. And this dude just took advantage of him being on his own. <sighs> I just, I have no I can't words. imagine how they feel. It, it, I know I've said that a few times, but, like, it's just, it's so much that I don't know how you would deal. <sighs> it's just so incredibly sad. None of this yeah, had to happen. Yeah, just, like, a young boy who seemed like a good kid. And he was just taken because of some dickhead selfishness. Right. And I mean, I guess... I mean, that's putting it lightly. That's like really understating it, I think. Yeah. And I guess people will chalk it down like, oh, you know, like wrong place, wrong time, blah, blah, blah. But no, like 
It just shouldn't happen. It shouldn't exactly. happen at all. Like, it shouldn't even be a wrong place, wrong time thing. It just shouldn't exist. It shouldn't happen at all. It shouldn't, shouldn't be. It shouldn't even be a possibility. Exactly. Like, Daniel should have been safe enough to wait for the bus and go buy his family Christmas presents. Like, that's the bottom line. He should have been able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because he was, like, he defended multiple times in the past. Shouldn't have even been able to walk around to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, because uh, Brett Cohen is such a fucking dickhead, he has since appealed his sentence twice. Of course he has. Why am I not surprised? He he insists that he's innocent and that the police operation that elicited, uh, elicited his confession was inadmissible as evidence. Why? Because he didn't know. So, like, because they lied to him to get the confession, he was like, <laughs> that shouldn't be evidence because right. they lied. Because what the fuck ever. I completely believe that had they been officers in uniform, he would have got he he said the same stuff, right? 100% <laughs> given them the truth. No, I, d- I don't even know how you could say that with a straight face. But the good news is that both were very unsuccessful. <laughs> good. I mean, he tried, but. Bad luck. You're a dickhead and you're staying in jail. Too bad. Too bad. So sad. So as unfortunate as this whole story has been, you know, like I I still can't really get past the fact that he he was murdered just because some shitbag decided that that was the way it was going to be, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, as unfortunate as all of that is, um, Daniel's parents have founded the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. Okay. So they obviously never want any other parents to have to go through what they did. So they created the foundation to try and make Australia a safer place for children. I love that. Yeah, I kind of, I really love that they were so strong. I think a lot of people would have just fallen apart. Mm. But instead, they were constantly, like, on the case. They were constantly, like, trying to get things to move forward. They were working towards getting him in any way that they could. And, like, they just didn't give up. And then even past that, they're trying to create something positive as a result. It would be really hard. I think it'd be really hard to talk about it every day. Oh, absolutely. But I I do love that they're trying to, you know, have Daniel have a – what's the word I'm looking for? Like have his legacy live on. Like, yeah, a legacy of something good. Mm. So it's hard, but I do think that they're doing, like, something really great for for other kids. Absolutely. They provide resources to educate children and young people about how to stay safe. They've extended that to um, online stuff as well because obviously that's the world we live in. But also – Things in real life as well. I love that. And they support young victims of crime as well. I, that's so beautiful. Because, I mean, it's so horrible, like, what had happened. I mean, they suffered for eight years and this dirtbag just took their son yeah. for his own selfish reasons. And yet here they are just trying. Pushing forward. Yeah, pushing forward and making sure that the memory of Daniel lives on and helping other children. That's that's really beautiful. Yeah, I think so too. That, that, that's not the only stuff they do. They do other stuff. So they also pushed for something called Daniel's Law, which was for Australia to create a national sex offender register. Yeah. don't know if you knew, but we don't have one. Oh. oh. I, I know that in other countries that's a thing. We don't have one. Yeah, because like in America, isn't it a thing where you can literally just like go online and see where the sex offenders yeah, we, are we near? Don't, we don't have that. We don't have that at all. Oh, wow. Um, that's not a thing. The Department of Home Affairs started the process in January 2009, and $7.8 million was allocated to the project in the federal budget, but it still hasn't happened. They're really pushing for that. I'm not sure 
Like, even if that had existed, I'm not sure it would have changed anything in Daniel's situation because he was literally just waiting for the bus. But I think it is, especially if you have children, to know um, who's a danger to them right. and where they are. Yeah, I think it's it's a double-edged sword, I think. On one hand, it helps you promote safety for your own family and things like that. But on the other hand, I feel like, for me, it would make me paranoid. There is, you know, like the other side, I guess, like let's play devil's advocate. If you are a sex offender and you've done your time for the crime and you've been released, should you have that follow you everywhere that you go? Yes. Can't we like- I say yes. <laughs> can't we get like a little farm or something in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, Australia? Just, I don't know, put them in a little farm, make someone, them- Someone actually told me recently about how there's- I can't remember where it is, but there's like a city somewhere in the world that is all just sex offenders. Gross. Gross. I agree. But at least it's contained. <laughs> I thought that that sounded like another form of jail. I'm like, I don't know how fair that is in a way. But then it's also like, okay, there's no stigma for them because everyone else is in the same boat. Mm-hmm. They can still go about and live their normal life yep. and do everything that they want to do with their freedom. Yeah. But they're also not a danger to anyone. Mm. I agree. Because they're contained in their own little area. Yeah. Can't we just like put up a little fence around them and they, <laughs> I don't know, try to grow grass in the desert? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, we've got the space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one's living in the middle of Australia. Let's put it to good use. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that we should, but I'm also not saying that we shouldn't. <laughs> like, if we have the resources in the space. Why not? Let's just do it. <laughs> I mean, I get why we can't. I, I don't. I do understand that. Um, <laughs> look, the thing is, if, if, if you've gone to jail and you've done your time, there has to be a point where, you know, you continue on with life. Mm. But, like, what about – okay, so, like, I understand that sometimes the uh, justice system works and people do become rehabilitated and they go on and do things with their lives, and I understand that. But, like, Cohen, for example, who is a repeat offender, he's very violent. Let's put him in the middle of Australia and tell him, <laughs> grow fucking grass here. You're not leaving it until we have a big old <laughs> patch of fucking buffalo. Get on it. <laughs> if only. <laughs> uh, I just feel like that should be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, if only. But I do get why. I, I do understand because I guess it's like, where do you draw the line? Yeah, true. So I do understand in the real world that that maybe logically isn't an answer, but in my ideal world, <laughs> it definitely is an answer. Right. In Devil Margarita world, there is a yeah. big old patch of land in the middle <laughs> of the red hot desert. <laughs> oh dear. That we send those people to. <laughs> oh dear. And there is no margaritas there. No fight. <laughs> oh, maybe like the next time we record, we should make margaritas. I don't like margaritas. What? Well, how do you not like margaritas? I say that I don't like margaritas, but I've never actually had a margarita. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, so we need to change that. <laughs> Look, I actually don't like tequila either, but I love a margarita. I hate tequila, but, okay, margaritas. Yeah, you can't really taste it. it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Don't worry. We'll make them. <laughs> we'll do a margarita episode. I feel like we probably should have done that for the first one. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I mean. it's fine. We can do it for the third one. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll end it all on a, a semi-positive note. Um, so every year there's a day for Daniel. 
We actually just missed it. It was on the 30th of October this year. Okay. They encouraged people to wear red because that was the color of his shirt the day he went missing um, to raise awareness for their cause. So if you're interested in ABLE, um, visit danielmorecombe.com.au to learn more and donate to help them continue uh, providing education to children. Absolutely. I feel like something like that is is so so important that our the children and the future generations have this support and the education and stuff like that. So if you can support it, definitely encourage you to financially. I mean, even yeah. if you can't support it with money, which I understand yeah. because COVID pandemic, all that shit. Absolutely. I'm sure there are other things that you could do to help. So definitely go check it out at least to, to see what they're doing. But I really do think that they've they've turned horrific, traumatic um, yeah, experience absolutely. into something good, um, which yeah, honestly, more power to them. I don't know some, how they're doing it. <laughs> it takes some very, very strong people, but also people with a lot of love in their hearts, which sounds cliche, but, you know. Yeah, definitely. I de- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link the 60 Minutes episode because his brothers are so sweet as well. They were saying that, like, every Christmas that they still so set a beautiful. place for him and stuff. It's just – they, they just seem like lovely people. Very grounded people. and just... Yeah. And just like, you know, they, they love their family. I can't imagine what it was like for them oh, to, to so, lose one. It's so heartbreaking, but at the same time, so beautiful. But like... Yeah, it really is. I just hope mm-hmm. that, yeah, no one else has to go through this. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's wishful thinking. There are still assholes in the world, but... Absolutely. Yeah, I, I cried multiple times watching the 60 Minutes episode just because... Even though they weren't crying, when you, I was crying um, for them. When we were like, talking I'm about sure it, like, you in. didn't tell me what you were researching or what you were doing, but you told me that you had cried. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was- Because yeah, I don't cry, by the way. I am not a crier. I am- <laughs> What could she possibly be researching right now that is making her cry? <laughs> Completely get it. <laughs> Completely understand. Yeah. It, it was really hard to go through, especially, like, the transcript of the confession and stuff, because I, I read all that. I watched the, the video. Like, all of that was really hard to go through, especially just because of, like, mm. how flippant he was. And there was, like, no remorse. Um, so, I was, like, equal parts very upset and really angry. Like, I kept going out to my boyfriend <laughs> and saying, I'm so I mad I imagine right you now. to have said that in that, that exact <laughs> tone, too. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was exactly like that. <laughs> Um, so he's been dealing with it as well for the, <laughs> for the last like week. So I think he's equally as angry as I was. So it's fine. So yep, Brett Peter Cohen. I hope you rot in jail. Yeah, get wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should. Pro- I guess we should probably do the outro because we-, we can only go on about how much we hate him and love the parents so much. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what's our outro? Uh, where they should check <laughs> us out. If you want to find any of the resources that I use for this story or any photos that I might include in the post on our website, it's thedevilsmargaritapodcast.com. If you want to send us an email for any reason, it is devilsmargaritapod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at devilsmargarita, which we'll obviously post on there about this story as well. Can I also add that if anyone would like to send memes or cat memes, please send them through because I feel like after this episode, I'm going to have to jump on TikTok and watch animal videos. 
Yeah, I'm definitely um because we're, we're finishing recording at 11 p.m. at night on a weeknight, so I'm definitely going to be lying in bed for like the next hour or so, just looking at TikToks, trying to get this out of my brain, so I don't think about how awful it is. Mm, I agree. <laughs> so yes, send us send us your cats, send us your dogs, send us your pets, send us your memes. We need them. We need memes. I agree. <laughs> okay. Is is that it? Is that everything? I think that's it. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs>